like uh, the pause button on your TV remote or uh, YouTube video, this story that Jesus tells, this parable, um, is, is like that for the religious leaders. We have these moments too. I remember um, 15 years ago or so, give or take, when I was in high school, um, I was with my class in New York City, and we ate deep dish New York style pizza. And it was so good. And I had a pause moment in my life where I thought to myself really hard why I'd ever eaten anything other than New York deep dish pizza. Right? It's, I questioned things. Seriously, though, we have moments in our life that, that um, make us hit the pause button and ask ourselves the question, is this what life is about? Is there more to life than this. Have we got it wrong? Perhaps, you know, for, for you, maybe it was a milestone birthday. You hit a specific number that will go unnamed, and you realized for the first time that you were old. And then you thought back on your life. Right? This happens to so many of us. Or a non-neutral moment, like a graduation, or a retirement, or a layoff, or a car accident, or a world event. You know, a pandemic, or an election, or a, a natural disaster. See, there's moments, experiences, where we question things, where we hit the pause button in our lives, and it forces us to reflect back. The gospel reading this week, Jesus is creating one of these moments for his enemies, the religious leaders, in a story that would have brought up for them a lot of emotion. It had baggage. It's a personal self-examination story for them. And he asks them a very pointed question at the end of this. Have you, have you never read the scriptures? Have you read the scriptures? Which is a funny question if you think about it, because these are the, the people who were the masters of the scriptures. These people, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, in order to qualify for that job, you had to memorize more scripture than what many of us read in a year. Have you read the scriptures? Of course they have. And so what Jesus is doing is he's asking a deeper question in this, which is not the same as a yes or no, have you read the scriptures, but a have you, have you understood the scriptures? Have you let the scriptures search you? As we looked at in our, in our uh, call to confession, have they searched you? Have you let them have you let them search your heart and to test you? So this morning, as we look at the story of Jesus and the rest of the readings, we'll see three, we'll ask ourselves three questions. One, have you read the scriptures? Two, have we let the scriptures read us? And three, has his story become our story? So first, have, we read the, have you read the scriptures? Now, this image of the vineyard is a common Bible image. It's found all over the scriptures, and we see it this morning in an Old Testament reading, in the psalm, and in a New Testament story, right? And so why was it such an important image to the Israelites? It's because it summed up major themes in the scriptures. It, when you dig into it, um, is a story that tells them about their story. Their story as a nation. Their story as God's people. Many of us, whether we realize it or not, we, 
realize it or not, we build our lives on stories. And uh, some, of, some of the stories, you know, so many of us, we, whether we realize it or not, we, we build our lives on a story that says, you know, I believe God loves me, I believe he cares for me, but I, I think I have to live a certain way in order to be blessed by him. There's a but in there. I heard a story this week from someone who reflected back on their own childhood about uh, growing up in the church and seeing people come forward to the Lord's Supper table and turn around because they didn't feel that they were worthy, that they'd lived a life that was worthy of receiving these gifts from God. There's a, there's a story that many of us believe, whether we see it or not, that says, I have to act a certain way in order to earn God's love. On the flip side, there's also a, uh, some of us who would say that, there, that um, we, each person is responsible for their own blessing. That we have to look inside of ourselves and find out what our story is, our true story, and then live that out. I got a pair of jeans this week. Yeah, jeans this week. And in, inside the jeans, in a, on, on the pocket, was printed this message. These jeans were from American Eagle, and they said, Individuality, freedom, and difference. We believe in the ones who reveal their true selves to the world— those who won't be contained by somebody else's labels. Real individuals with passion and purpose, we make jeans for you. And so printed in my jeans is this message that we have to look inside of ourselves and, and see what, uh, what, what story we want ourselves to be a part of and to live that out regardless of what people say. To look inside ourselves for blessing. But the story of the vineyard challenges both of these ideas. It's not a story that tells us about earning God's blessing, and it's not a story that says we have to look inside ourselves for blessing. It describes for us the work of God and the character of God. So in Isaiah it says, my loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a winepress as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. And so when I did some research into this, what, what this story is actually about is about a creator who has thought of everything. He takes special care. This is not just any ordinary vineyard. This is a vineyard in which the, the creator of the vineyard has taken special care in providing the best that they could to produce a good fruit. See, in Jewish culture, there was a specific way that a person would go about building a vineyard. It was a multi-year project. First year, for the first growing season, they would clear it of all the, the stones, get all the, the, um, the, the plants out that, that, that weren't, uh, that they didn't want to be a part of the vineyard, all the weeds, and, and they would clear it of all the bad stuff. Then, in the off-season, after that first whole year of clearing and clearing and clearing, they would go and they would look for vines. And they would, they would search for these, that search for and curate the vines that would grow the best with the type of soil, the sunlight, the, the uh, region. And they would have to go out and search. And these were very expensive. And then in the second growing season, the cleared rocks 
would be built into a wall to protect from people who would come in and just eat the grapes or steal the grapes and for wild animals. And there would be a watchtower that some vineyards would have built that would uh, provide a place for people to stay and to live and to reside over the vineyard. And then a wine press was built. We see all of these things in this story. A wine press so that the grapes could be turned into a product to sell. But in this specific story in Isaiah, in this image of the vineyard, there's some subtle differences. The first is that only the choicest vines were chosen. Now, this would be incredibly expensive. And so we see this, the, the creator of the vineyard is someone who has, whose credit card doesn't have a limit. It is a bottomless bank account. It would have been great, greatly expensive. And then the wine press. The word in the Hebrew isn't actually for wine press. It's for wine vat. And the difference is that a wine press is made to export, whereas a wine vat is made so that the, the, as a storage place, so that the people who live in the vineyard may enjoy the fruit. And so we see this story telling us of a creator who's thought of everything, who, sh- who spares no expense, whose bank account has no bottom, who lavishes the best upon the vineyard and wants the fruit to produce for the vineyard itself. It's, it's to be enjoyed by the creator, not to be exported for a profit. And waits patiently for the fruit to come. See, God has set the stage. He has blessed this place. And he waits for it to produce the fruit as a result. So what is the fruit that God looks for? What does he desire of these, these grapes? Well, think about this. When Last year, when, when we were building cub cars for Gems and Cadets, how many of us built cub cars? Many of us did, right? And each cub car was different, right? They were all unique. They came from the same slab, right? The same kit, and they turned into something unique. Why is that? It's because each person's character is reflected in the car. Some, some make it some go for looks and try to win the best looks category. Some go for speed, right? The, the, the product, the, the car, takes on the character of the creator. See, this is what God, the creator of the vineyard, desires of the fruit. And we see this in verse 7, where it says, He looked for justice, and he saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. This piece of work, this vineyard, this, this place that God has poured out his blessing and his favor upon, he's looking for fruit that reflect, mirror his character. Tim Keller uh, sums this up for us when he talks about justice. He says, doing justice includes not only righting of wrongs, but generosity and social concern, especially towards the poor and vulnerable. And he finishes, he says, this type of living reflects the character of God. So the, the, what God looks for in the fruit is, a ref, is that the fruit would take on his character, reflect his character. One commentator put it like this. He said, if the vineyard had only been obedient to the fruitfulness, nothing could have touched it. But they were not. And that's what leads us into our second story. It's not just uh, our second point. It's not just um, have we read the scriptures? Do we see that God desires 
blessing and throws blessing at the vineyard, but that this is a story that has to read us too and bring us to our knees. You know, when you, you know, come down the stairs, uh, heading out the door to picture day for school, and uh, your, your mom or your dad takes a look at you up and down and either lets you go out the door to get your pictures done or says, no, upstairs again. There's no way you're going looking like that, right? They're sizing you up, right? They're, they're, they're seeing whether or not you're worthy of the, the pictures. Well, a story like, like the story of the vineyard sizes us up. And this is what the parable of Jesus is all about. Because it's a, it's a familiar story to the Israelites. It's a story from one of their prophets, but with a twist. Jesus places the religious leaders in charge of the harvest. He puts them as mediators, right? And, and says to them, you, you, are you being faithful to harvesting good fruit? Are you, what God has placed in your responsibility to lead these people in a life worthy, in, in fruitfulness, are you being faithful to that? And the way that they led the people was by calling them to be obedient to the law, right? They followed the law to a T. They obeyed the commands. They dotted every I and crossed every T, but they missed the point. They didn't let the story read them. Jesus asked the religious leaders, right, what the landowner will do to those tenants who killed the son. And they reply, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end. He will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give his share of the crop at harvest time. See, they want justice and righteousness. Did you hear that? Justice is he will bring those wretches to a wretched end. They will get what they deserve. And righteousness, right relationships with other people, he will rent the vineyard to those who will share in the crop at harvest time. See, these religious leaders, they know the character of God. They know justice and righteousness, but they try to live it out in the wrong way. And they act in this story as a mirror against themselves. They don't see the, the need for repentance. So what about us? Do we let the scriptures read us? Do we let the scriptures show us our brokenness, our failure to live up to the character of God? See, we know that deep down, we, we, we know that if we base our lives on our own power or mor morality— that we won't be able to, to live up to the standards of God, the righteousness and justice that he requires. We can't look to the law. But we also can't shed this idea of justice and righteousness. There was a humanities professor that I uh, read this week who talked about secularism, and he said this. He says, strict secularism holds that people are only physical entities without souls, that when loved ones die, they simply cease to exist, that sensations of love and beauty are just neurological chemical events. There's no right and wrong outside of what we in our minds can determine or choose. And so when we feel this desire for justice and righteousness, we can't abandon the law either. We can't say, okay, well then I'm just not going to try to follow God's law and just live it out on my own. There's no, there's no basis for that. This doesn't help us explain our deep longing for justice and righteousness in the world. And so can we let this story read us, force us to see our need for help, 
I'm reminded of C.S. Lewis, who put it uh, in his sermon, The Weight of Glory. He said it like this, If I find my desires, which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. So we want a world that mirrors the character of God, the righteousness and justice. We want to produce good fruit, but we are helpless on our own. So where is our hope? Where do we turn for, for help? This leads us to the third question. Has, his, has he become your story? Has his story become your story? There's a sermon illustration I heard a while back about the author Dorothy Sayers. Dorothy Sayers is a graduate of Oxford University who wrote a series of murder mystery novels. And uh, th these novels were centered around a character named Lord Peter Whimsey. And throughout all of these um, stories, uh, the Lord Peter Whimsey is uh, continually caught in this loneliness, right? He, he doesn't have, uh, and he's not married. He finds himself in relationships that keep ending, and uh, he has a troubled, troubled heart. And near the end of this, this series, um, Dorothy Sayers knows that, that something is wrong with this character, and that she's written these stories, she's grown in her love for Lord Peter Whimsey as a character. And so what she does is she introduces a character into the stories named Harriet Vane. Harriet is also a student or graduate of Oxford, just like Dorothy Sayers. Harriet is also a murder mystery novel writer, just like Dorothy Sayers, the author herself. Harriet had an on-and-off-again relationship with Whimsy, and then eventually they get married, and they live happily ever after. So what in these stories, what happened? The author herself looked at a character in her story and wrote herself in to save him. She couldn't stand to see Lord Peter Whimsey go on alone, and so she wrote herself into this story to save him. This is the gospel. God looks at his vineyard, looks at the, at the people who cannot produce good fruit, even though he has blessed it. And he doesn't hold back his love. He sends his son, who took on our brokenness, our sin, our failure to live up to God's character. Jesus was righteousness and justice, and he was condemned in an unjust trial, right? crucified by unrighteous people. He was rejected instead of us when he hung on the cross. And Jesus Christ has become the cornerstone, right? Did you see that transition in the parable? He has become the cornerstone. The one who was rejected becomes the story that all of us build our lives, can build our lives off. He's the meaning, the fulfillment, the one who makes everything right. He's the turning point. The Apostle Paul had a major pause in his life where his story changed, didn't it? And he was on the road to Damascus. He was persecuting Christians. He was zealous for the law dotting every I, crossing every T, and then he met Jesus, the resurrected Lord, who, who caused in him a turning point. 
And Paul wrote this, I consider everything loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness on my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, on the basis of faith in him. This is what we can build our lives off of, the cornerstone, the one who has lived the life that we should have and died the death that we deserve, that we may live through him, that we may have a righteousness that comes through him and not on our own. When Paul found Christ, or was, was found by Christ, his story changed and became a different person. Everything he did became a reflection of Christ's character. What about us? Brothers and sisters, we look around, we see issues of injustice, unrighteousness. We, we have days when our, our patience is tested with our kids. Days when we fall flat on our face. But has his story become our story? Has his righteousness become our righteousness? Has his accepted acceptance become our acceptance? Has his story become our story? Do we let Christ read us? Do we let him call us to repent and turn again to him and to live in gratitude to him as a reflection of his character? Have we read the scriptures? Have we let the scriptures read us? Has his story become our story? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this word that you've given to us, the image of the vineyard and the blessing that you lavish upon your people. God, we pray that um, we would let the scriptures read us and honestly uh, look into our hearts. Lord, would they convict us, lead us closer to you. Father, most of all, would, um, would our story become your story? Would, would our um, character become your character? Lord, we need your spirit to continually lead us and guide us in this, and so we pray that you give it to us today and this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.